0: This podcast contains strong language, adult humour and is intended for a mature audience. hello and welcome to another episode of is it art though the art history podcast that keeps your highbrow on fleek hosted by me augustina and me ellie and this week is a halloween special
1: yay i'm so
0: (laughs) excited (laughs) we are talking all about witches witches in art History of
1: the witch trials. We're going to do the whole thing. This is just... I could just talk about this by myself in my bedroom to the cat. I absolutely <laughs> adore it. I was so excited for this. And it's it very much is... It, I feel like this was a spearheaded by me episode.
0: You were the one that initiated the idea of a halloween special i was like
1: let's do some goth shit because
0: as you've said many a time halloween is goth
1: christmas it's goth christmas it's my favorite time of year i love it i love pumpkins i love pumpkin pie i love witches i love witchy stuff i love horror films and i absolutely cannot wait to get full into the halloween season
0: (laughs) and as we've said or you've said many a time especially as we've been researching this basically
1: back in the day you would have probably just been a witch oh i definitely would have been burnt at the step. there's no two ways around and to be fair we both would have been burnt at the step. yeah we're both witches. like a bit
0: too clever for our own good
1: talk too much about uh, stuff i identify very much with with uh with a with a burnt witch <laughs> Yeah, so we're we're actually sitting in our Halloween shrine, our accidental Halloween shrine to record because I put up loads of Halloween decorations last year and never took them down. Yeah. <laughs> so we still have... We still have a cobweb tablecloth on our table. We still have Edgar Allan Crow. We still have Edgar Allan Crow, um, who is my son and heir, mm-hmm. Edgar Allan Crow. Um So I've often dreamed that I would one day domesticate an army of crows and have them live <laughs> in the house. But until that happens, I'm going to have to... Instead have either statues of crows, which we, which we do have. Or one day I also, when I get rich, want to have loads of taxidermy crows. That Frida will probably try to eat. Yes. My house is going to be so oppressive. If you and Chris ever come <laughs> over for dinner, you're going to be like, what the fuck is going on in well, here? Did
0: I ever tell you about my, my tutor at uni? She had a taxidermist. like once <laughs> Just ca- come retainer? Yeah, like, like casually in a conversation. So she had this like little taxidermy shrew. And um, she was like, "Oh, do you like my shoe? I got it from my taxidermist." And I was like, "You have it? like, like what? <laughs> <laughs> like I put like on
1: speed dial." This woman's my hero. She
0: she always wore black. She was like my hero as well. Keira's spirit. <laughs> yeah, she always wore black, and like yeah, she had she had these little taxidermy animals. But she said her. Her goal was to get a taxidermy raven, but she said they're really hard to get hold of. And she was like, I'm basically waiting for a day when a raven dies. I want to get it stuffed and I want to have it hanging with its wings spread
1: out over my sofa. This woman's incredible. But then she was
0: like, I was worried because when I obviously interview candidates basically these like nervous school kids are gonna come in and she was like i think they're gonna be terrified (laughs) and so they should be (laughs) it's like part of the application
1: process did you know there's a whole thing now i was looking at this the other day and it's sort of like uh riled well not riled me up i don't know but you know the, the 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 Gen Z, the all the kids, the, all the kids, the, 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 TikTok, kid, the kids on the TikTok,
0: the kids on the TikTok, the kids on the
1: TikTok. They've got like a whole subculture now called a dark academic, oh, yeah. and it's basically just what me and you do all the time. Yeah. So it's basically just dark knitwear and interest <laughs> in Victorian literature, <laughs> like, but they don't do it as well as us. Yeah. So. <laughs> We were there first. <laughs> we were there first. We and they've made it into an entire sub <laughs> genre. I'm like, well, you know, where was that when I was at school?
0: Yeah, I know. It's so <laughs> annoying. And then wasn't there like um some other one that was it's like a mixture of dark academia and like cottage core and barred core? They're like they're like all coming together and I'm like, those that venn diagram for me is basically a circle like those are all my interests <laughs> yeah. in, in one place and now i'm like too old to hang out with these kids <laughs> they're all like 19 and i'm just like how do you do
1: fellow kids Hi. <laughs> also do you know what else annoys me about this is a tangent but do you know what else annoys me about gen Zers? although i love them i say all of this with jest i love them yeah but the other thing that annoys me is all these big titty goth girlfriend memes i'm like uh, where were those when i was at school <laughs> <laughs> i could have been your big titty goth girlfriend but no
0: <laughs> now you'll you'll have to be like a big titty goth cougar <laughs> <laughs> that might be a genre there's so many genres <laughs> on tiktok <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay should we actually get into the episode then i guess so i guess we should, should we discuss some witches yeah
0: so let's we're gonna basically go chronologically so you have started at the beginning so i'm gonna hand over to you you're gonna tell me some stuff
1: yeah well to say i've started at the beginning is yeah i mean well as close to the beginning as you can get i guess the really. beginning of the world <laughs> <laughs> i've started at genesis <laughs> i thought for our first installment that we should focus on today a woman who is amused to many artists, as well as a friend of the show and a long-time collaborator of ours. Screech uh, Owl. <laughs> yeah, this woman is called Lilith. Uh, <laughs> or, as you may remember her from the pre-Raphaelite episode, the Screech Owl and the killer of babies. So I wanted to look at Lilith because I think we've talked around her story a little bit, like, especially in the pre-Raphaelite episode, as I said. But we've never actually sat down and explained her like origin Mm. story fully. so in many ways, Lilith is kind of the archetype of the modern witch. she's.. and that's not to say that she was the first witch because obviously like witchcraft predates christianity Mm. by by quite a long time. so for instance, famously, Circe in Homer's Odyssey is described as a witch and that was written in about 800 BC. yeah. But much of the kind of wicked, sexy woman stuff that we recognise in uh, Witches today can be traced back to like the Lilith story.
0: Mm. Which is the kind of hipster Adam and Eve. It's
1: like (laughs) the the real early stuff. So foreshadowed there, in modern culture, Lilith is now known as the first wife of Adam who fled Eden and went on to become the killer of baby and the mother of demons. As you do. Every bad breakup does lead to the killer of baby and mother of demons. (laughs) She's like, I've had a
0: makeover. I'm over Adam and i've just really like thought about who i want to be <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a demon and a killer of babies so it's believed that the idea of lilith may have originated from a class of female demons called the lulu uh, that are found in ancient mesopotamian demonology mm-hmm. but the first solid reference we have to lilith comes from the hebrew bible and the book of Isaiah. Although Lilith does appear at various points in the Hebrew Bible, she only appears once by name, and that's in Isaiah thirty-four fourteen. Okay, and the passage reads: Wildcats shall meet with desert beasts. Uh, satyrs shall call to one another. There shall Lilith repose and find herself a place to rest. Then, in Isaiah thirty-four fifteen, we have: There the hoot owl shall nest and lay her eggs. Hatch them out and gather them in her shadow. There shall the kites assemble, none shall be missing its mate, which is which is the first time you see Lilith referenced as the owl and the Ah, Screech Owl.
0: Well, she's a hoot owl, which I think is much more
1: cute. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But my personal favourite translation of Isaiah 3414 comes from the Genevieve Bible, actually, which was translated by William Whittingham in 1587, which reads. And the screech owl mm-hmm. shall rest there, and shall find herself a quiet dwelling. And which I joked, I want to get as a wall sticker above my bed, <laughs> kind of in the style of live, laugh, love. Laugh. <laughs> it does sound like, she's like, I don't want to be a bother. <laughs> I just want to have a rest. The screech owl's having a rest. I want a quiet dwelling. Don't we all just want a quiet
0: place to, to screech? <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, much like the cat. <laughs>
0: Literally, like the cat, the cat wants pin drop silence, which is not happening. You
1: weren't in last night, but literally, I watched this murder documentary. This really happened. I watched this like murder documentary, and it was really creepy. And then I went to bed, and I was alone in the house, and everything was dark. And she just started screeching at the living room. I was like, Please stop. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm begging you, stop. So the rest of what we know about Lilith comes from kind of Hebrew teachings, Jewish folklore and mysticism. And all of this is kind of Bible adjacent, but it's not actually in the Bible.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of like, I guess they're referred to as like the apocrypha, aren't Mm. they? All the books that didn't make it into like the final cut of the Bible. Because all these books were floating around for ages and then someone was like, we need to make the... Yeah, we need to edit this. Now that's what I call the Bible edition, (laughs) which is the... The Bible we have today, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so Lilith turns up quite a bit in the Talmud, and we also take a lot of the more modern Lilith story from something called the Alphabet of Syrac, which was written anywhere between 700 and 1000 AD. Mm-hmm. So, according to Wikipedia, the Alphabet of Syrac was inspired by the Hebrew book of ethical teachings, the Syrac, or also known as the Book of ecclesiasticus okay so the and i believe actually the syrac appears in the catholic and the orthodox bible but doesn't appear in the protestant bible i think um so yeah so that's the uh the book of ecclesiasticus Mm. so the alphabet of syrac is considered a satire due to its references to masturbation incest incest and flatulence (laughs) (laughs) i also like how they're all dumped in together yeah (laughs) really
0: put incest and flatulence <laughs> on the same scale <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean i am constantly flatulent that's like just ibs yeah.
1: like, oh, uh, no i'm going to hell you're going to hell we're all going to hell <laughs> the alphabet of cyrac um is where we first hear about lilith as the first wife of adam and according to the book lilith was made on the same day as adam which was rosh hashanah and very importantly created from the same clay as adam and that's going to come up later it's a, it's a really important factor so over the middle ages this was like elaborated on until we see her again in the 11th century writings of isaac ben jacob HaCohen, cohen and this is where we find out that Before Eve was created from Adam's rib, Lilith lived with him in the Garden of Eden, but because she saw herself as his equal, she refused to submit and lay under him. This story in its full is made up of lots of different Hebrew texts, um, and I won't reference them all as I go along because we will just be here forever. And if I'm quite honest, it's pretty confused. And there's a lot of competing narratives as with all of the biblical stuff. Like when you actually dig down into it, doesn't make a huge amount of sense.
0: Lots of contradictory <laughs> messages. Lots of
1: contradictory messages.
0: I also like that we're getting a picture of Lilith here. I like how she's like, I just want to be on my own. I'm really not all that into Adam after all. Yeah. He's into really vanilla sex. Yeah. He just wants to do missionary all the time. <laughs> I just want to go off and kind of do my own thing. Yeah. I and then it's like she's the
1: last woman in the world. <laughs> I wish, I wish. Um so I'm going to try and boil this story down to its most kind of like coherent version. Basically, the battle over who would submit in the garden of Eden was not coming to a natural conclusion, and Lilith in rage blasphemed by speaking God's true name, then literally flew out of the garden of eden and was like fuck this shit i'm gone (laughs) so she straight up dumped adam's ass (laughs) she was just like i'm done i'm not dealing with this guy anymore he's an absolute wimp and i can't deal with him (laughs) so adam in typical adam style went off crying to god about lilith and was like she's left me she won't submit (laughs) and god decided that he was going to send three angels out to force lilith's return So anyway, the angels catch up with Lilith and they find her by the Red Sea, where she started up like a fling with the archangel Samael. Good for her. (laughs) And this is a figure who is known as the accuser, the seducer and the destroyer. I reckon he would be a fun post-breakup fling.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Everything Adam just wasn't. (laughs) Yeah,
1: he also goes by the name Venom of God and Poison of God and Blindness of God. Mm. So, okay it seems really open to interpretation as to whether Samael is Lucifer and like, you know, whether they're the same archangel. So opinions differ on this, but for all intents and purposes, because as I said before, like there is a lot of competing narratives in the Bible, it doesn't always make sense. Mm. But for all intents and purposes, they do seem to be very much the same to me. And there's also talk about it was Samael who um got Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge. Oh. And obviously we always say that it's Lucifer who got Yeah Eve to eat. So there's a lot of like confusion about which angel did what and whether they're the same angel. Yeah. But it's also worth pointing out as well that part of where the I think the confusion comes from is there's a lot of different Bible adjacent texts and all of that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And It seems that in a lot of the Hebrew texts as well, Samael is not seen as necessarily an adversary of God. Mm. He's more seen as like... Just a bad apple. But but (laughs) he's like God's bad left hand.
0: Ah, okay. So like,
1: you know when God's being all destructive... Samael plays a role and also yeah. i think lucifer like plays a role in that right but right. then as we get into the more like new testament god mm. where god's kind of in his 40s he's chilled a bit he's less about the fire and brimstone yeah, <laughs> we, yeah. S- we start to see these archangels as like adversaries and people who are like hell bent on yeah okay does that make sense so yeah, it's all it's yeah. all a little bit confused between like the old and the new god mm. so yeah so Samael, lucifer they could be the same it's it's not entirely clear as i say I'm, I'm not really a biblical scholar but what i do think is interesting is in the netflix show lucifer which i do know a lot more about than the actual <laughs> bible <laughs> <laughs> the main character lucifer morningstar is also called samael by the other angels so he goes uh, okay. by by both names yeah they're like used interchangeably so in pop culture at least it's kind of now accepted that samael and lucifer are probably the same fallen angel yeah anyway that was a bit of a tangent so back to the story when the angels find lilith she's bearing children and they tell her to come home and if she doesn't a hundred of her children will die a day so to she's this been popping them out. she's just popping them out she's she's like over that the place. termite <laughs> in the mating <laughs> game <Ugh. laughs> it's like seven million babies at <laughs> a time <laughs> just <laughs> So, yeah, so Lilith's sparing children and the angels are like, if you don't come back, a hundred of your children will die a day. And to this, Lilith replies, well, I guess God only made me to devour children then. And this is where we get the idea of like Lilith is the baby killer from.
0: Right. So she was like backed into a corner of killing babies. Yeah,
1: she was kind of backed into a a baby killing corner. I don't think it was her choice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She's also kind of just quite sassy. So he's like, her- well, I guess I'm a baby kid <laughs> yeah. huh?" So for <laughs> her disobedience, the angels tried to drown her in the Red Sea. But she strikes, to me, the worst trade deal in the history of trade deals. Yeah. Like, this is worse than anything Trump came up with. <laughs> Biden, anything worse than Biden came up with. This is the worst trade deal in the history of trade deals. She basically turns around and says... She will only have dominion if they... So basically, if they don't drown her in the Dead Sea... Red Sea, sorry. She will only have dominion over the souls of children for eight days if they are boys and 12 days if they are girls. But if the child is wearing a special amulet bearing her name, they will not be killed. And, like, even though it seems like it was God's rule rather than hers that the babies have to die... Yeah. The angels are like, yeah, seems fair. (laughs) Angels are like, So now
0: she's got to, like, start... Making amulets, like, super (laughs) fast.
1: (laughs) Also, it, like, she didn't... I don't understand why you've struck this deal. Like, you were backed (laughs) into a corner about killing babies. It wasn't your choice at the beginning. But now she's like, well, now I'm the killer of babies. I'm going to use that as my (laughs) bargaining chip. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah.
0: And to start a jewellery line. She's like, I might as well make the most of this new, this new
1: life I've got. (laughs) So, yeah, the angels are like, yeah, seems like a fair deal. We won't kill the ones wearing an amulet. And they just sort of let her go about her business. Mm. And that's sort of the origin story of Lilith. Okay. And it's after this, like, there's some other stuff, but it's after this that God was basically like, okay, that equality stuff just didn't work out. It wasn't great. So, Adam, I'm gonna give you another woman... But, just so she doesn't get any funny ideas above her station, I'm going to make her out of your rib and not out of the same clay. Right. Because that way she might think she's your equal. When clearly if she's been made out of your rib, she's not your equal. She's made of you. Yeah. And then also, there are other stories that suggest that Lilith went back to Eden, but Adam was already with Eve. So in a fit of jealousy, she mounted Adam in his sleep and stole his seed. Which is... (laughs) (laughs) Also, oh, they don't have a great understanding of biology. I think it would be quite hard to... Ste-
0: How do you steal it? Has she stolen it in her
1: vag? Yes. Is she, like, running off with, like... She's running off from seat. <laughs> like, it's scuttle so that it doesn't fall cool out. the late-night bathroom scuttle. She's like, quick, get to the bathroom.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Also, like... I like how she did... She's like, I'm still not going to go under you. I will mount you. I will mount you. I'm going on top. (laughs)
1: That's Lilith's red line. (laughs) Like, like, I'm not going under. top. reverse
0: cowgirl or nothing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So this idea of Lilith going back to Eden and, like, stealing Adam's seed is probably where we get the modern idea of the succubus from. Mm. Which is like a famous female demon who drains men's souls Mm. essentially by like raping them in their sleep. Yeah. And I also think the mother of demon stuff comes from the idea that she... Bore children with Samael. right? And also she bore children from Adam's sto- from Adam's stolen seed, okay. but because they weren't like legitimate children, yeah, they were probably like, like demon children because okay. she because she stole his seed and it wasn't made in love, yeah. So this is kind of the idea where we get the the as yeah. ever.
0: Friends, consent is important. It's
1: very important. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Including if you're some kind of succubus demon. Consent <laughs> is important.
1: <laughs> so Lilith, throughout history has been known as like a demoness and like sexually wanton, dangerous and kind of the opposite of the matriarch. Mm. So she's the mother of demons. She's the killer of babies and the shagger of Satan. Mm. Um, and this hasn't completely gone away. So even today, she springs up as like an evil character in pop culture all the time so in True Blood she's the first she's the first vampire in Lucifer she's the mother of demons who's like very emotionally and also literally unavailable to all of her offspring and mm. they're very sad about it
0: also Frazier's ex-wife is Lilith
1: oh yeah 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 and um in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina Lilith starts off as a witch and the concubine of Satan although she and all the other witches rebel against the Dark Lord because Satan is kind of a dick to all of them mm. So, this idea of Lilith as being, like, bad uh, and being this kind of archetype of the, the worst femininity has not completely gone away. But more modern and especially feminist readings of the original legend of Lilith, have started to look at it and kind of think, hang on, maybe she wasn't completely wrong here. Yeah. <laughs> And it it also, you know, it looks to me like she just wanted to be treated with a little bit of respect. And she just was not getting that in the Garden of Eden.
0: He respected a tree
1: (laughs) more than he respected
0: Lilith. He was like, I'm not going to go near that tree, but I will
1: just be a complete dick to you. (laughs) Sorry about it, Lilith. And this kind of... This basically quite minor infraction of not wanting to lay underneath a man mm. has led to essentially one of the most brutal character assassinations in the whole of history. Yeah. And, you know, when you read this story, maybe, just maybe, Adam doesn't come out of it that well. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's kind of the full story of Lilith. That's like the potted history. That's really interesting.
0: Yeah, and you were telling me that there's like... You've seen placards on marches with feminists kind of saying like Lilith was framed and stuff. Yeah,
1: (laughs) There's not a lot of like, when you get to the Victorian era, you get a lot of depictions of Lilith.
0: But often as kind of like, like like we sort of talk about a bit in the, in episode one with the pre-Raphaelites, she's kind of seen as this sort of sexy temptress because the pre-Raphaelites were really into their dangerous, seductive women. Mm
1: -hmm. But um, what's that? So carving. yeah, I was going to say there's not a lot of, there's no really biblical depictions of Lilith. Mm. Um, but what we do have is we have some kind of like Mesopotamian carvings mm. of things that look like they could, could be. be Lilith. Yeah. So this one is called Burnley Relief and it's, uh, it's Babylonian and it's mm. from the 18, it's from 1800 source like 1750 bc and what we see is a depiction of um so it's a carving of a woman but she has like wings and the hooves of or not the hooves like, like talons. The talons even of a bird um and this is what we think are these are like the best things that we could have that like kind of link us back to what could possibly be the kind
0: of origins of lilith yeah so the Bernie Relief. I mean, Bernie Relief doesn't sound like that. Was its original it name? Yeah,
1: it <laughs> doesn't. And actually, it's now displayed in the British Museum in London. So, uh-huh. if you know any of our London listeners want to go and see it, this is kind of the best links. Actually, artistic links are the best links that we have to mm. the idea of Lilith in Mesopotamian culture because there's no surviving kind of written records. So, oh,
0: there she is. There's oh. uh, there's one. What, who's the artist of that one? John Collier. This is like a Victorian one. Um, it's on the. If you ever, if you look up Lilith's, Lilith's Wikipedia, there's this woman who's, she's like kind of hanging out with a snake and she looks all, her hair's like tumbling and it's real like her essence.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's baby blood. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that's so that's the Lilith. <laughs>
0: in. i love it i'm oh, sorry on lilith's page it says born garden of eden
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that picture we just referenced is uh an 1887 one just called lilith so
0: we'll get on to this when we get into the kind of victorian period of witches you can really see them move into just looking at witches and generally evil women as very sexy and like a little bit dangerous she just looks like those burlesque women who dance with snakes
1: yeah 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 yeah. she's got
0: that real she's she looks like she's really into the snake being there i would say <laughs> she is
1: not bothered I, by that snake <clears throat> they love snakes don't they mm. born gardener it's That's so hilarious. good <laughs> <laughs> likes dislikes <laughs> <laughs> likes Riding on top. (laughs) He likes arguing with cock boyfriends. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's the story of Lilith.
0: Cool. Actually, before we go a little bit further, so you talked very briefly about Circe. There's a couple of ancient Greek kind of witch figures who do... They make a comeback in different ways as we, like, go through the history of depiction of witches. So we have Circe who is in the Odyssey and who... Odysseus and his mates came and visited her on an island. She basically, there's a there's a myth where she, for, for various reasons, she, she probably pissed off Zeus. That's usually what it is. <laughs> but she gets banished on her own to an island. So she's kind of lonely. And then Odysseus and all of his friends turn up and then they're going to go and she's like, oh no, don't go. And Odysseus is like, no, I really have to. I'm on an odyssey. And then she's like, fuck you. I'm turning all of your friends into pigs. <laughs> Um, and we've poor s- woman though, she's
1: just lonely. <laughs> she just wants some company. She just wants
0: some pals. <laughs> some
1: big pals. <laughs>
0: Is that too much to ask? Whenever I've seen like in storybooks and stuff of Greek myths, they're they're always drawn as actual pigs. But if you look at depictions of Circe and that particular story on pots, they're kind of like pig men. They're like the body of a man with a curly tail and a pig head, which is like, <laughs> I like that that was the ancient Greeks kind of like, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> half pig half man kind of a vibe <laughs> and then Hecate is another goddess who is also known for witchcraft and she's depicted in, often she's actually depicted as not being a single woman but like three women joined at the back and it's because she's known for like looking forwards and backwards at the same time and she's she's often put at thresholds or crossroads because she is she can see everywhere basically And uh, there's a story of her, so she's often shown with two torches, and the story is that when Persephone is taken into the underworld and her mother Demeter is looking for her, Hecate, like, helps in right. the search and she has her little torches <laughs> and she's like don't worry i'll help you find her and when she finds persephone apparently she becomes her kind of underworld buddy god she's, mom. She, yeah she's like her <laughs> god slash hell best friend
1: i want a demon godmother, a demon a, de- a demon mother a demon a fairy mother yeah <laughs>
0: yeah yeah and also this idea of threes comes up quite a lot as we go through so yeah she's also if we're looking at the really the the early witch women that kind of it they appear in different guises throughout art history those are some of the kind of key ones
1: also that thing about freeze is really interesting because in like a lot of stuff to do with you know like the occult and things like that this idea of the three always comes back yeah and whenever anybody sort of is pressed on it, like why is like, you know, 3 p.m. the witch an hour and mm. 3 a.m. the witch an hour so 3 p.m. just when people are in the office. <laughs> double, double, toilet trouble. <laughs> Bad luck happens in threes. all of that yeah. sort of stuff. People say it's to do with the Holy Trinity and yeah. it's like a mocking of the Holy Trinity. But actually it goes back much further than Christianity. Yeah, I
0: think basically humans have always just had an interest in threes and because we're so... What's the word? Like, we're so programmed to look for patterns. And obviously, triangles yeah. are apparently like they turn up a lot in nature. And like, they're a very, apparently, they're a very strong shape. Like, you have like buttress roots of trees that are triangular and all this kind of stuff. So, like, yeah, I just think that, yeah, he- humans have a natural affinity for pattern. And I think they just like the number three. Cause ah. I reckon it just because it sort of pops up again
1: and again. Does something. Does something to us. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to talk
0: about medieval stuff?
1: I was going to set the scene a little bit. We're going to skip forward a bit. Yeah. We're going to go from the Bible. (laughs) The beginning of time (laughs) to medieval times. (laughs) We couldn't do all of it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay? It's just a lot. (laughs) So, yeah. I want to sort of set the scene up a little bit to get into actually talking about a lot of the art. Mm. Because when I first started looking into the subject of witches... I thought that I was going to find loads of cool medieval stuff about witches because I kind of had this idea in my head that medieval people were like crazy religious, Mm. super literal about like demons and magic and hell and just prone to like, you know, superstition and religious mania. But pretty much the moment I started researching, it became clear that that just wasn't the case at all. Mm. And so although witches have been persecuted throughout history especially during the early, uh, sort of like middle ages when Europe was going through the process of Christianization, actually the medieval period was a relatively kind of calm time. It was a relatively right. calm period. I should point out now though, and we, th- again, this is just something we keep talking about in the house because we're nerds. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of this focuses on when you think the medieval period is, and it's not yeah. that clear. Like we spoke about it in Bosch, we spoke about it in, in other things. Like, yeah. It's not really that clear where the medieval period ends and kind of the renaissance and, and like, the early modern period kind of begin. Yeah. So, um, I, for the sake of this and in my own thinking, I'm dating the, sort of, medieval period up until the 15th century.
0: Yeah, that's fair because I think... From the research I've done into when the witch craze starts, it starts in the late 15th century. So it, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
1: The medieval period was actually like a relatively calm period. And the witch craze that we know we know about today, as you've just said, with all of the kind of witch trials and the burnings and all of that, was like a renaissance, early modern phenomenon. Mm. Which I actually, like even me, who feels like I sort of know quite a lot about this through popular culture, mm. was surprised at how
0: how much of a time it was. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was surprised that there wasn't as
1: much medieval stuff. Yeah. In medieval Europe, especially, the concept of witchcraft existed... But it really wasn't something that people thought about very much. So evil witchcraft tied to Satan and demons, it did sort of exist as a concept. There Mm. was ideas, but it wasn't part of medieval people's daily lives. And it also wasn't heavily gendered the way it is today. Mm. So there wasn't this idea that women were witches, for instance. It was like anybody could be a witch. And also, you know, like witches we didn't have the common tropes that we have today so it was mostly to do with like being controlled by demons and stuff like that right whereas in the later period it much more became about making a covenant with satan and yeah. making a pact with satan and therefore you you've got yourself into something yeah However, there was other stuff that we would probably, like, consider witchcraft today, or at least, like, woo-woo, mm. that very much was part of, like, daily medieval life. And it was so commonplace that it wasn't associated with evil at all. So, on the British Isles, and also in other parts of Europe in this period, we had a group of people that we called cunning folk. Yeah. And they were basically what I guess you would consider, like, herbal healers today. But they also dabbled in like rituals and charms and sometimes claimed to have like psychic abilities. Yeah. So maybe if something precious to you went missing, you might hire a cunning like person to try and like figure out where that was or...
0: Yeah, because I guess you've got to think about people's psychology at the time. It's not like there was this division between spirituality or religion and science. So it's not like someone would be like, oh, I'm into herbs, but I don't do the, uh, I don't do the wee-wee rituals, actually. I'm just... I'm just a herbs guy, like it's it, not really it was all kind of much more holistic and all-encompassing yeah, so yeah,
1: yeah, so some Christians didn't love the conning folk, but overwhelmingly conning folk were a practicing Christians themselves mm. and B very, very popular in society at large. So they didn't face much persecution, to be perfectly honest. And it's also key to understand at this point that there wasn't this hard separation of science and magic that we have today. So doctors believed that like the stars and the positions of the planet and all of that kind of thing had like an effect on the body. You were saying something about bloodletting the other day oh so yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah so i think that this the moon has an effect on your blood so you'd have the moon would have to be in a certain place or they wouldn't want to bloodlet uh, in case also, somebody bled out too much
0: and there's just things like i'll get into it a bit more later but yeah this idea of humors as well and whether you're like too you could be too hot or too cold and stuff or you could have too much bile or something so like and i'm sure that they found some way of like <laughs> logically making that fit with star signs and things yeah yeah, well.
1: yeah yeah so they believed that like the planets and and the stars had an effect on the human body and yeah they were expected to be like learned in astrology which obviously we look at today and just think is an absolute joke well <laughs> like... yeah, some people don't <laughs> or some people don't i did send true. you
0: that thing much as i do love this website and they give you actual money advice on there. <laughs> refinery 29 there was also just like the moon's in Aries here's what it means for your life and i'm like okay but you're also telling
1: me how to do like ices. i know it's <laughs> I, was, like, so. I was reading vice news the other day and they were like what to do when your mercury's in retrograde <sighs> or whatever and i was just like oh my god this is not real and also like you're <laughs> literally covering afghanistan yeah and then in the next article you're like oh maybe the taliban are upset because the mercury's in retrograde <laughs> <laughs> what yeah
0: it's just i just oh i don't understand anyway we, we've talked about this many oh i mean that just reminds me of that great the um my psychic life literally like this <laughs> this house is a favorite documentary of all time it was like it got, if, if, if again if you're a uk listener which we've done the stats most of you are sorry if you're not but yeah, you got to go on to Channel Four and find my psychic life because it's just about these woo-woo <laughs> psychic people who are all sort of based around Blackpool. Yeah,
1: they get really into it in the northwest. Yeah, they love it,
0: and they just like do like you know they have the smudge sticks and everything. <laughs> and that woman who definitely sees ghosts just when she's out on a trip to
1: Poundland. <laughs> she's literally just she's literally just in Savers in one of the things, and she's and just she's talking like, to a ghost. She's child. Like, I'm I've spotted a child on a bench. And she starts having a conversation. Anyway. It's, oh, my Do you know favorite. what? No, she was my favourite yeah, one. Yeah. I actually loved her. She was my favourite one. Very, I reckon I really enjoyed. She was sweet and she was sweet and lovely and earnest. Whereas I, some of them, you're just like, you are a charlatan. You're doing this to con money out of people. Yeah. Whereas The one others. who
0: I really enjoyed was the guy who seemed to be in some kind of menage a trois that's never alluded to. Like... <laughs> you think he's like in a couple with this guy who's his full-time PA and then they just pan out and his wife's there as well and you're like oh I did not see this situation coming but yeah oh my god watch it it's so good it's so good the number of times we talk about it is like we reference it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so going back to cunning folk in medieval England. Yeah.
1: And so also doctors would prescribe things like relics of saints mm. to noble people. Like they prescribe them out on loan yeah. to like noble people because they were believed, you know, to have healing properties and stuff like that. Yeah. So magic was very commonplace and seen as quite like legitimate. Mm. Where you did get criminal accusations of witchcraft it actually tended to be used for political gain and levelled against nobles and royals and clergymen themselves rather than being uh, levelled against like the, the kind of common people. Yeah. So interestingly, in the 1300s, Pope Boniface the Eighth, <laughs> which is my favourite name ever, and there were seven others, Pope Boniface Eighth was post-humorously tried for apostasy, murder and sodomy. And in addition to, and in addition to this, allegedly entering into a pact with the devil. Oh, However, okay. these charges were like leveled against him by Philip the Fourth of France, who Bonnie Face, during his time excommunicated. Oh, we clearly had an axe to grind. Yeah. Basically because Philip IV was trying to impose taxes on the clergy and he was barring them from, like, the administration of law and doing stuff like that in order mm-hmm. to shore up the French state. So Boniface had him excommunicated and then, you know, after his death, Philip was like... This guy's kissing Satan's anus. (laughs) (laughs) He's entering into a pact. (laughs) And also, there were royal accusations of witchcraft in this time. And they were mostly leveled against women, to be fair, Mm. um, for political reasons. Because it was widely understood that women, and especially queens, held a lot of soft political power.
0: Yeah. Do you remember I told you this is peak, we're nerds thing. When you were telling me about that, I was like, oh yeah, I was listening to this podcast about medieval chess sets and you were like, looking at me like, I think you've just out me. <laughs> but it was really interesting. It was, a, it was a podcast that was looking at the Lewis Chessmen, which are these really famous old chess pieces. And they were talking about the fact that when the game of chess spread from the Middle East out into Europe, the positions of the pieces changed. So in the Middle East and Asia you'd have the king and then instead you'd have a vizier who's like his top advisor and then as it moved into uh europe it became a king and queen because the queen is the top advisor yeah same. so and that's why we have king queen bishop knight castle because those were seen as like the most i don't know from castles about but those were seen as <laughs> well the, i guess
1: rook. i mean it's a rook i don't know like what a the bird is. or anyway but um, a castle kind of makes sense right because it's your seat of power
0: i suppose yeah Yeah. i suppose but that's why um it's really interesting that like yeah basically over here when we were playing this game which is all about political strategy and pieces and planning the queen was the second in command to the king not a top advisor which was the case in um like the yeah in in i don't know persia iran all those places that's like
1: yeah pleasure yeah. in Iran I is mean- the
0: same place but you know what I mean <laughs>
1: um. <laughs> that kind of illustrates my point perfectly yeah because it was widely understood that that these women had the ears of important men but they didn't hold official political positions. So it was actually really hard to attack them via normal political routes. Yeah. Famously in the 15th century, Henry IV's wife, Elizabeth Woodville, and her mother were both accused of witchcraft by the Earl of Warwick. Mm-hmm. But this was at the same time as he imprisoned Henry IV and killed Elizabeth Woodville's father as part of a failed coup that attempted to put Edward bro- Edward's brother George on the throne in his place. Mm. And this coup... Coop coop. (laughs) coup. And this coup was also partly triggered. By the Earl of Warwick's dislike of the fact that Henry IV had married a low-ranking woman, mm. uh, so Elizabeth, out of love. Yeah. Which at the time Kings just didn't do.
0: There's a good dramatization of it called The White Queen. Oh, okay. It's got who plays Henry? Max Irons. I remember thinking the guy who plays Henry's fit, who is it? It's Max Irons. <laughs> 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 but you know, I basically enjoy the whole Irons clan. Yeah. I'm into Jeremy <laughs> and Max. <laughs> I'm, cool. I'm like, I'm into whichever member of the family. Is interested i might watch
1: that the white queen
0: (laughs) yeah it's very good and then they did uh they did the white princess which is about her daughter which is when you get the first generation of the tudors so like henry the seventh
1: didn't she marry up as well was this not like a thing in the family and she wasn't that a little bit scandalous as well i think so
0: and i might have just completely made that up but the series the series the white princess which is the next part where henry tudor's on the throne has a jodie Comer in it Mm. aka villanelle Um, and she Mm. plays the princess it's very
1: good so this was the first time since the norman conquest that a king had like married one of his subjects so you can kind of see from all of that that's going on is yes she was being accused of witchcraft but it was very much a political move oh yeah like it it wasn't to do with with actual fear of witchcraft it was it was to do with shoring up political allegiances and Mm. and this was the sort of stuff that like as i said before just didn't concern the common folk.
0: It's interesting as well whether people genuinely believed they had powers. Because in the, so in the drama, the witch thing is really, really played up. Oh, okay. (laughs) And and basically the mum says to Elizabeth, we're descendants of Melusina, the water goddess, and we have powers. And they create a storm by like blowing on something. And then a storm (laughs) happens at sea and all of this stuff. But you do wonder like to what extent people are making stuff up. And to what extent back then people genuinely believed they
1: had powers that they
0: obviously didn't.
1: So have. I think if you look at a lot of, I don't know, it is hard to know. I would, ima- I am being unfair. I do not know. But I would yeah. imagine with this case and the Earl of bloody War. He was just, what, trying, to he was just trying to do a smear campaign. He oh, was just trying to do a smear campaign. like I he- definitely
0: think if he, if he had any, whether she believed that about herself or not, if he had any suspicions, he was trying to discredit yeah. her. But um, it is interesting to what extent, say, cunning folk believed they had some kind of willy powers.
1: So, like, I also think it's interesting in, like, this is, again, we're jumping all over the place because this is very much in the modern period. But, like, it's interesting in, like, Salem, for instance, because from what I know about Salem is it really was very politically motivated. Mm. There was a lot of stuff going on in Salem. Like, there was a lot of warring in the church and, like, factionalism and, like, Mm. different powerful families trying to get ahead. So there very much was a political dynamic but you would also think and wonder in a society that is that god-fearing and that oppressive because the puritans were like insane they Mm. were insanely god-fearing insanely oppressive and obviously big powerful men use that to their advantage but there was a lot of the population who probably did genuinely believe in witchcraft and like probably did like so a lot of people i you it that's where it gets a bit greyer and it gets a bit more like how much of this was just political campaigning and how yeah. much of it was people genuinely believing that there, there was witches amongst them. Mm.
0: Which, I guess, is kind of taking us closer to the period where what, what we know as the witch craze
1: happened. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so this starts... This idea of witchcraft... And it being, like, a serious danger to people, normal people across the world, really starts to come about in the 16th and 17th centuries. And we'll Mm. touch on it a lot more, sort of, I think you'll talk about Mm. it later on. But really, one of the big things that kicks it off is something that we have already talked about in our Pre-Raphaelite episode, which is a book called The Malleus Maleficarum. Yeah. And basically, that was a 1487 book by Henrik Kramer. Mm. And it was like a runaway success. It was literally one of the most successful books in history.
0: Yeah, second only to
1: the Bible at the time, apparently. It's, uh, like, the, it's like the Bible, Malleus Malifaclara <laughs> and Harry Potter. <laughs> They're the books that just won't die. Because
0: <laughs> um, what what happens around this time is the printing press is created in about 1440, which is just 40 odd years before this book is produced. And it means that books are printed, which makes them much more widely available. But then you also get lots of woodcuts and pamphlets and engravings that become really easy to distribute. So as well as this book really becoming a runaway success, the idea of witches and imagery of witches is much easier to spread amongst people. And obviously you don't have to be able to read. You can look at the pictures and you can get something from a pamphlet just by looking at looking at the pictures <laughs> basically yeah. which is actually where some of the most enduring images of witches come from because apparently in pamphlets especially during the witch craze period which is about the 1480s to the very late 1600s early 1700s they would just reuse the same tropes again and again because it became easier to make a point in pictures by doing that yeah so the pointy hat the broomstick the cat just became like a thing where they were like if we do that there's actually you've created a
1: visual language yeah straight away and people
0: know so there's there was literally a woodcut from i would say like maybe the early 1700s or somewhere in the 1600s where it's a woman with a pointy hat riding a broom and i was like oh my god (laughs) that's what they would that that's it that's a witch like it's not even a cartoon <laughs> joke witch that
1: is what they thought a witch was yeah. so there you go yeah so the the malleus maleficarum was probably in fact was definitely the first straight up misogynistic text written about witchcraft yeah, um, which
0: i mean i told you the kind of weird origin story of that basically Heinrich kramer lived was in based in innsbruck which is in germany i think and he had his suspicions about 13 women, I think, but one in particular called Helena Schuberin, and he kept trying to prosecute her for using witchcraft to kill a nobleman, and he kept interrogating her and these 13 other citizens. Now, it was really... I think he actually had a difficult time because she was actually married to a very kind of prosperous lawyer or I think a burger is a lawyer and but he described her as an aggressive independent woman who was not afraid to speak her mind. We're gonna get (laughs) burned. Yeah. (laughs) We must never time travel. (laughs) Um... There's some interesting things. Basically, this woman seemed to just take a dislike to him. Which, fair enough, he doesn't sound particularly nice. And um, he just got a vendetta against her and would not let it go. So... Right after Kramer had arrived in the city, apparently she passed him in the street and said, Fie on you, you bad monk. May the falling evil take you. (laughs) (laughs) So she was just not really into Dominican monks, clearly. Absolute hero. She's a hero. (laughs) And it turns out, so it, it transpired she wasn't attending Kramer's sermons. And she was encouraging others to do likewise. So these things were all brought against her at the trial as ways of saying, she's definitely a witch, she's definitely evil, she's discouraging people from going to church, she is aggressive, she's independent, she talks too much, and oh apparently she even disrupted one of his sermons by loudly proclaiming that she believed him to be an evil man in league with the (laughs) devil, so he was like, two can play that game, I think you're in league with the devil, and they just, um
1: but during i've got this friend sorry, <laughs> i've got this friend and i won't out her on the podcast but i've got this friend she's an older woman and she's brilliant she's very 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 good but she's known to heckle when she disagrees with things <laughs> and i'm just now in my head this woman is my friend Yeah, <laughs> she's known to just like so if somebody's pissing her off she just heckles them <laughs> where you can
0: see the seeds of what is gonna go into his book, is that during the trial he was obsessed with her sexuality, her sexual activity, what she got up to, and he was actually accused by the bishop of basically presuming a lot of things that there was no evidence for, and he was also basically discredited and expelled from the city because he just kept focusing so heavily on her sexuality, Um, that they were like, this is just, this is clearly a vendetta and you've got no evidence.
1: So. Which is incredible, right? Because you you think about the time he's operating in and the stature of man he is in comparison to her. Yeah. Like, imagine being excommunicated from the church for being misogynistic. Like, how misogynistic do you have to be? Well,
0: (laughs) he wasn't excommunicated, but he was chucked out of the city. Oh, he was chucked out of the The city. The bishop was like, we don't want you here. You are causing way too much trouble. (laughs) Can you just please go away? So he eventually went back to Cologne. So this was 1486. And then I think by 1488 was the Malleus Maleficarum. Um, Oh no. 1487. 1487. Oh no. So this all happened in 1484. This trial with this woman. And then yeah, like two, three years pass. And he's just sat furiously scribbling away somewhere about... How witches are awful and they're horrible women in league with the devil and all of this stuff and all of the ways you can tell if there's a witch. Yeah. And this, this time, this time the books are runaway success. When we were researching the witch craze, they were saying one of the reasons that basically it took off was because it's a book that important people could read. So influential people read it. And then that's how it slowly made its way into actual legislation because basically influential people were reading this book and going, oh my God, so what? You're saying like she kisses the devil's anus and then, <laughs> and then she steals men's like penises and stuff. Okay. This sounds pretty, yeah, no, I think we should do something about I this. Think this, I'm against real, this. This is a real problem. I'm yeah. really glad you've brought this to my attention.
1: But also it's just like so infuriating. I said this to you. It's yeah. like, thousands and thousands and thousands of women were murdered yeah they think about fifty thousand. because some dude had a bee in his bonnet yeah. about a woman who wouldn't go to his sermons like yeah it, it's crazy it is and um
0: pope innocent the eighth had at that point basically given permission to launch a witch hunt But it wasn't related to the book itself. But what he did was he, like, took that papal bull and put it in his book as if to say, we've got authorization from the Pope that this is all true. He's basically... He's basically given us his, like... Seal of approval. When actually... It wasn't related to the book at all. Yeah. But that is one of the things that kind of made the book more credible as well. So there's just, this guy is just a massive fucking shyster who yeah. basically made up a load of stuff, had a vendetta, clearly a massive misogynist, just had a vendetta against women in general, one woman in particular, and just took things like this papal bull to try and give himself a bit more credibility. And it basically, yeah, just led to loads of women in particular being persecuted. Yeah. It played into a lot of ideas that people already had about yeah. women being ungodly. And just took it to the absolute extreme. That they are all
1: willing to, to make a pact with the devil. So a few other things kind of happened around the end of the medieval period. Which is, you know, where you start to really see the building of the, the kind of witch craze. Mm. So in 1542, Henry VIII passes the first ever witchcraft act in England to set the scene as to maybe why this was happening, it's important to know that the protestant reformation was kind of raging across europe at the time. Mm. and suddenly i think everybody was a little bit more touchy and insecure about their religion. so as far as i can tell, it wasn't simply the case that protestants were accusing catholics of witchcraft or vice versa. it was Mm. more complicated than that. but you know, it was more to do with the kind of big cultural shifts that came along with the reformation. And a big moral panic about
0: what happened to your soul when you died. It's interesting actually that 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 Henry VIII brought that in because I think Anne Boleyn was accused of being a witch. That was one of the charges brought against her. her. So I think he conveniently used it as well as like accusing her of uh, incest Incest. with her brother and, and, and treason. He also said, um, Uh, I'm accusing you of witchcraft as well. And I think they looked for things. Like, I think she basically might have had like a sixth finger on one hand. Oh. And they used stuff like that to say you're clearly a witch. So, Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So like Protestants placed much more emphasis on people actively engaging with the Bible rather than kind of outsourcing it out to the clergy. So yeah, it literally, as you said... For the first time, people are really starting to think about the nature of their immortal soul. Mm. And that's, like, on their minds. And they're really starting to think about, you know what part they play in in religion and what part religion plays in their life yeah also this period saw a kind of hardening up of people believing in the devil as a literal like enemy of god yeah. so uh, who was like hell-bent on god's downfall which i sort of spoke about in the lilith bit as well like you get much mm. more of a hardening of that whereas before it was a bit more hazy
0: yeah and we also talk about this a bit in the previous episode about hieronymus bosch because we're kind of getting into the time period of when hieronymus bosch painted garden of earthly delights and that that picture of hell it's all kind of happening around that time this idea of hell being a literal awful place and there being actual demons and the devil is a person who is trying to come after your soul yep there's clearly a a bit of a zeitgeist at the time (laughs) of like All of these things came together. And then the fact that, like I say, inventing technology like the printing press, which means that loads more people can now talk about these things and think about these things. And you can basically say whatever you like, because there's absolutely no rules about who's
1: printing what. So you can print mad shit like the Malleus Maleficarum. (laughs) And I think it's probably also quite important to point out, during this period... Fear of witchcraft may also have played a uniting role for Protestants and Catholics. Yeah, it gives Um, them
0: something to scapegoat. It gives them
1: something to focus on. Because it was a huge time of religious upheaval. And yes, they were persecuting each other. There's no way around that. But at least they could all agree that the real enemy were witches. Mm. Um, Because you did get this right across the board. Like, Catholics were into it. Protestants were into it. And it may have been a way of uniting, like, Christendom.
0: Yeah, because... I mean, it's interesting that it spread across Europe at the same time as the reformation was spreading across Europe. So I was surprised at how many countries had witch trials in some form or another. Like, I didn't know Italy had them. I didn't really know Spain had them because I thought they were too busy with the Inquisition, (laughs) which we'll get into (laughs) later. Uh, You know, I didn't really I mean, apparently Germany was like a real epicenter for it, which makes sense because, you know, that's where Protestantism started officially. Mm -hmm. Um, So I imagine that if that's kind of like the eye of the storm, that's it makes sense that there's going to be loads and loads of witch trials there. So yeah, it's clear. Loads of different things are all coming to a head at the same time. Yeah. Um, so I think now's like a good time. We've done a lot of talking about history, but now's like a good time to look at some of the pictures. Mm-hmm. We're actually going to mainly look at some Germans to start with. This picture called The Witch by Albrecht Dürer. Dürer is known for uh, his engravings. This one is of a uh an image of the witch as a crone. So you kind of what you see at this period is even though all women are seen as a threat, old women are seen as a real threat. And there's kind of various reasons for this. So a lot of it comes down to periods. <laughs> and what I did some reading and basically they believed that women have you know you you have your period inside you and it's kind of like a poisonous substance essentially. <laughs> But at least when you're menstruating, you purge it out of your body every month. Whereas when women go through the menopause, what they believed was that essentially it's all staying up in there and you're getting all backed up. <laughs> oh God. And you're just getting fuller and fuller of this toxic substance <laughs> to the point where literally your looks, your look with your eyes could be evil because there is so much
1: evil, Toxic noxious inside you. stuff inside
0: you that you could look at. So they genuinely believed that if a woman was on her period, she could make meat go off. She could make butter go rancid. <laughs> if she went to a cellar to get some wine, she could make the wine go sour. She They genuinely believed that women's periods were this powerful. To be fair, to
1: be fair, I've seen my mother give some withering looks that I think <laughs> <laughs> spoil meat. <laughs> yeah.
0: So the witch in this engraving is older she's got saggy boobs and um it's interesting people did pick on witches particularly they did pick on older women
1: older mm-hmm. and more vulnerable women in society because um, I guess as well, like, in a deeply matriarchal uh, patriarchal society, sorry, mm. it's very much seen as the only thing we have to offer as children.
0: Yeah. So once, once you that... get into
1: the menopausal, like, phase, there's, you know, what are you? What, yeah. What do you have to offer? What's your point?
0: And you're kind of, in a way, you become quite dangerous because you aren't especially if you're a widow as well mm-hmm. if your husband's died and you haven't remarried and you're just kind of a free agent mm. widows were seen that widows weren't particularly like well respected and they were seen they were viewed with suspicion and a lot of kind i of, guess
1: especially if they inherited money
0: yeah so this woman yeah she looks older she's got she's got saggy boobs and she's doing something which i think is called the the wild ride i think is what it's called <laughs> But it's basically where they believed that women would ride backwards on a goat. So a goat...
1: <laughs> and you can see because they, they... I'm sorry, it sounds like a great Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> if so- I was some rich widow, you'd catch me riding backwards oh, on God, a goat through the town. <laughs> Let's see what would happen, really. But like, if you look at the painting,
0: she's riding backwards on a goat and her hair is blowing in the opposite direction to the way the goat is running. And the idea is that like, basically... Witches are so evil that all of the natural rules of all all the laws of nature are inverted. So, really, her hair shouldn't be blowing that way if the goat's running that way. It's all going, it's all topsy turvy. I don't really understand what the cherubs are doing, to be quite honest. I don't (laughs) know why there's four cherubs, but
1: I find cherubs so creepy. Yeah.
0: They're just disgusting.
1: I know they're supposed to be lovely, but they just give me the creeps. That
0: one's not very. That's really <laughs> quite an ugly baby, and she has a broom. I think. I think that's a broom uh, in in her hand. So this was a print that he did around fifteen hundred. So we're talking about just under twenty years after that book was written. Then we've got some others. So he does. He does this one called the Four Witches, which is these four
1: quite thick ladies. There is junk in her trunk, mm. and I like it. <laughs>
0: And the first thing I thought when I looked at this picture was that they kind of remind me of the three graces, but like an evil mm. version. Mm-hmm. They are wearing these kind of Well, they sort of look like modern day women, don't they? Because they've got yeah. like the sort they've of head on and stuff. stuff. And and there's a like, demon in the corner with some flames. You can see. Oh yeah. But it look, it's like an interior. Just quite massively close up on one of their bums. Uh,
1: <laughs> Great lampshade as well, by the way, just FYI.
0: (laughs) So this thing, you can see it's like a globe and it says OGH on it. And apparently that can mean, it can mean two things. Either Odium generis humani, which is uh, disgust or ambush against the human race. Or, oh god hutter, oh god forbid. Right. But I guess the idea is they are, these ones aren't as what's the word terrifying or they're not they don't necessarily you know try and provoke disgust in you or mm-hmm. anything they're quite like they're clearly just like some curvy women hanging out but this idea of women congregating was a very dangerous idea as well mm-hmm. so i don't know if that's what he's trying to depict here and that there's this demon with flames in the corner that basically you know women women congregating is is not is not okay so interestingly Dürer was known for these engravings of witches, but his pupil really took it to the next level. So there's this guy called Hans Baldungrian, and he does engravings of witches that apparently really like became enduring depictions of, yeah. of, of witchcraft. And he was very well respected. And like he was he was Dura's student, and but he was like literally worked with him in his workshop. Yeah. Um, and apparently, like, got a lock of his hair when he died. Or oh something. God! Although right, if you see that picture of Jura, he's got like really nice hair.
1: <laughs> he's true. got like—is car- that the one with the ringlets? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: where Jura's clearly done the curly <laughs> yeah, girl yeah, method. Yeah. His curls are on point. Yeah, there There's is no frizz. No frizz. <laughs> <laughs> he is using a sulfate-free shampoo. Yeah. He is plopping. He is wrapping that before bed. <laughs> <laughs> Albrecht with the good hair. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so Hans Baldung was his like personal, like his apprentice and worked under him. So I think he clearly took on a lot of jurors, like his style, but also his subject matter and some of his ideas. There's this witch's Sabbath that he did in 1510, which apparently is a real, it really set the template for how you depict witches and again he's got that riding backwards
1: thing. He has But the, the riding- hair's going in the opposite direction.
0: Yeah. She's got a fork, like some kind of a pitchfork, and it's got a I was trying to figure out if that was a baby in the in the cauldron, because obviously they witches are known for killing and eating yeah. babies.
1: It sort of looks like little chicken legs to me, but <laughs> Yeah, I
0: think that might not have been. You've got demons hiding, you've got another goat. Another goat. And you've got these women who you sort of They're kind of creepy because you can't tell if they're, like... This one's definitely a hag. Like, she's clearly really old and, like, withered and droopy and all the rest of it. And toothless. But these ones, you sort of can't tell if they're supposed to be attractive or not. Because their faces look kind of horrible. But they're clearly like
1: young they're younger yeah and
0: there's this fake hebrew script on the pot that's supposed to make you think this is all a bit like a cult and mm-hmm. and you know it's all to oh, do with like devilish the
1: jews have got to be involved somehow yeah like yeah obviously yeah
0: <laughs> but they've got they've all got cauldrons they're clearly brewing something they're so also this idea of a witch's sabbath is important because It's the idea that like when everyone is going to church and going to mass and celebrating the Sabbath, that witches do it on the same day because the devil wants them to undermine that and have their own Sabbath in praise of him. And then there's this one. So this is another depiction of a witch. (laughs) This one's called the bewitched groom. (laughs) And the idea is that she's... She's just (laughs) taking him out. It's just, the perspective is really, like, intense. Like, it's so far
1: Look at the look the horse is giving the man on the floor. The horse is like, you're a bitch. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And you can see this witch, she's like an, she's old and she's got a boob hanging out with a really big nipple. Um, (laughs) And she's clearly bewitched this, this groomsman. Apparently horses were seen like women. They were seen as unpredictable,
1: wild, like... I agree. I'm not a fan of the horse. I'm not a fan of the horse. (laughs) If anything's a witch, it's a horse. (laughs) Horses and dolphins, they're the real, they're the real enemy. Yeah.
0: His, his images, I think, go a lot further than Albrecht Dürer, basically. And they really, like, pervaded the imagination so those are kind of like, I guess, the high art ones where trained craftsmen were doing these. Apparently, like, he actually just... I think he had a day job, but did a lot of these engravings in his... <laughs>
1: spare time. In his
0: spare time. And he was... Much working... like us in the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a labour of love. It really is. Um And then... But it, a bit like Bosch, essentially. Like, he was working around the same time, seen as a bit of an artisan, had lots of very high-ranking patrons, was moving in quite influential circles Mm -hmm. so those were the people who were seeing these pictures if we're talking about people who are like more ordinary they would probably see just sort of woodcuts which again like they're not like as as refined but they kind of do the same thing i guess it's like quite roughly dumb but Mm. i think they're supposed to be older and they're giving the devil these little poppets, these
1: like little wax dolls yeah. that are, you know, clearly... The devil's good, though. It's more like fanciful. It's better than yeah. just a goat. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that, that's quite a clear depiction of the devil in the way that we understand him, which is yeah. interesting. See, this one is from a
0: 1579 pamphlet about a woman called Elizabeth Style, And this has a, like a weird little dragony demon <laughs> that is like sitting on her hand. And this is another picture from that book where she's feeding her familiars, which is a box of toads. (laughs) She's feeding them with her blood. I'm sure you could
1: get better familiars than that.
0: Yeah, although cats and toads are really, really common. It's obviously, oh, here's a a picture of a cat (laughs) from the book. Yeah. So this whole idea of, and here's another one of this, like, clearly just a drawing of an old woman, Mm. right? But apparently, you know, this is the discovery of a witch. This is what a witch looks like they're just it's like this really stereotypical image that's starting to be reproduced again and again and again in pamphlets which means that yeah this idea was really easily distributed amongst a lot of people which meant that this is why people kept trying to like dob each other in as witches because once you see that it's an old woman who's usually quite vulnerable you just Viewer, and if stuff's going wrong, say like your crops fail, or Mm -hmm. there's bad weather, or like apparently around the time that the witch craze was kind of reaching its peak in Britain, there was a mini ice age where the Thames literally froze solid, and so like you had weird weather, you had a resurgence of the plague. So the Black Death came back and mm. it was like worse than the first time. <laughs> Reunion tour. <laughs> yeah. And so like loads of things were going wrong and people were looking for someone to blame. And obviously they were having their sort of yeah kind of existential religious issues going on as well about Catholicism and Protestantism. So it did kind of make sense that If you spotted an old woman, you just were like, it's probably her. Yeah. (laughs) She's she's probably up to no good. This is my favourite one. So this one is of Matthew Hopkins, the Witchfinder General. So if we skip forward a little bit to the period of the Civil War in England, where that period, apparently, there was a a huge number of women convicted as witches in a very short period of time. And it's partly because uh, Matthew Hopkins, who was operating in the sort of... Southeast of England. He basically created this role for himself. It wasn't ever kind of verified by Parliament, but he was like, I'm the Witchfinder General, and they were like,
1: fine. (laughs) We're we're kind of busy with a civil war. Exactly, they're just like, oh, just let him get on with it. Yeah, (laughs) you know when somebody on holiday makes themselves like the tour guide. Yeah, and and you're like, like, whatever, do what you like.
0: (laughs) But he basically he wrote a book about his discoveries of witches, and there's a, a woodcut of him with two witches. It says Matthew Hopkins, Witchfinder General. And then underneath, there's these two women, clearly older women in chairs, saying, My my imp's names are Ilamazar, Wacket, Jaranara, Peckin' <laughs> oh, the pecking Jar- the Crown. Jaranara is cute. Yeah. Jaranara just looks like a little show poodle. Jaranara, yeah, looks like one of those fluffy dachshunds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Peckin' the Crown, Grizzle Greedy Gut, Vinegar Tom, who looks, yeah. who looks like either a whippet or a Cow, I can't tell. <laughs> Newers, which looks like some kind of a ferret, and sack and sugar. Sack and sugar? So it's just like. Incredible. Yeah. Like,
1: Vinegar Tom's my favourite. Vinegar Tom's catchy.
0: <laughs> but we were saying, like, do you remember we were talking about this idea of women having familiars who are these animals who um maybe would. You, they would go and do your bidding uh, but you would like feed them your blood and they would usually they would suckle from some kind of devil's mark mm. so it could be a mole it could be just some kind of a skin tag it could be anything that was seen as maybe like a blemish even if you had like a third nipple or something it might be that obviously matthew hopkins because he was some kind of deranged Misogynist also thought that they might suckle blood from kind of private areas. Of course, they did. And what they used to do was apparently they were called witch prickers, they used to stick pins into those like marks to see if, if you couldn't feel anything. They thought that that was like a sign that that you were were a witch that 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 was a devil's mark
1: um but also all of those things like i mean not third nipples but skin tags you're not gonna feel anything
0: it's um yeah yeah
1: but also all of those things you're much more likely to develop as you get older like that your body is developing those things as it gets older like
0: because they had this whole idea of like you know that when god creates people they're like you know unblemished and everything and that i think this whole idea of the resurrection and you know the last day of judgment is that people are going to return um and be resurrected as their best selves Mm. which means that they won't have any they'll they won't be old they'll be young they won't have any kind of blemishes on them they'll be perfect yeah so the opposite of that is being moly and having (laughs) saggy (laughs) boobs and having weird skin tags and whatever (laughs) so obviously they pick on older women and yeah i think it's this fear that there's also this idea that if women aren't fertile and producing children, they must be the opposite of that. Which is why you start to see this whole idea of Lilith the baby killer kind yep. of comes back that that witches take life. Yeah. So they used to blame midwives a lot because obviously midwives are women who know a lot about women's issues. Women come together when a baby's born because men usually weren't there. And midwives have unprecedented access to unbaptized babies so they a lot of the time would assume midwives were witches because witches took babies Mm -hmm. to give to the devil to feed him to turn into special ointments that they would rub on brooms to make them fly apparently according to the malleus maleficarum they would yeah basically they took life they didn't make life life. and that was a way of definitely targeting uh older
1: women and, and vulnerable older women So I heard this, like, it's, yeah, it's, it's very similar to what you're saying. I heard this really interesting story the other day about, do you know The Conjuring, the film? No, I've not watched it. So it was like a house that was possessed, like, supposed to be possessed by a demon, and it it spawned one of the biggest, like, film, horror film franchises in the world. Mm. But this, so the Conjuring house is a real house And the family are a real family I mean obviously I don't think they were actually possessed by a demon mm. But like this is like a real case That kind of took America But one of the things that like always comes back to Is there was this woman called Bash- Bashiva Sherman or something Yeah And basically in her care a child had died mm. By getting like a needle Like some, some a needle had gone into the back of her head Now oh. this baby Died and that's terrible But it went to a criminal court And there was just not enough evidence to convict the Bathsheba woman like Mm. whether she did it or not there just was not enough evidence to convict her at all Mm. but the she could never shake this idea of being a witch oh god so she so basically the whole town just turned on her like she could never shake this witch thing Mm. because they were like you've killed a baby and you must have done it for Satan yeah like there's there's no two ways around it so and actually it's really interesting because then she becomes tied to like the conjuring house even though she never lived or died on that property. But this is just how, like, folktales work. So mm. it's around the same area. So yeah. she's become the demon that's taken over that property. When in reality, she's never... She never lived or died on it. So...
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess the reason that the kind of... So I've found the woodcut that has, like, a woman with a pointy hat flying on a broom. Which is from 1720. But that is... That's a witch. Like, we that's yeah. the, that's the witch that we know today. And I guess that idea spread so far and so quickly into popular culture because the people who believed in witches here then went to America and they took that with them. Hence, you have like the Salem witch trials that happen there. And then you just have this idea of witches that stays in culture. And then obviously you have Hollywood and they make films like Hocus Pocus. (laughs) And so... Yeah, this idea of, like... The, this idea we have of witches that's very specific, of a woman with a pointy hat with a broom with a cat, mm-hmm. just becomes so popular. Yep. So I guess another little interesting kind of sub thing to this is that we were talking about alewives and how female brewers were seen as witches as well. So it's all these... It's all these areas of these, these groups of women in society who are kind of just doing things by themselves and kind of getting on with their lives, like <laughs> cunning folk. Heaven forbid. Yeah. <laughs> and men became incredibly paranoid and suspicious about this. So you had, yeah, you had cunning folk who were just mm-hmm. women who basically just knew a bit about herbs and healing. You had midwives who could help deliver babies and basically help women give birth heaven forbid that happens. And then you also have alewives. And a lot of the tropes that we see in the typical idea of a witch can kind of be linked back to alewives. So they were women who basically were just female brewers. Mm -hmm. And they became quite a big thing, particularly after the Black Death, because loads more women actually ended up just doing jobs that...
1: That maybe their husbands were
0: doing originally. So, but then (laughs) just... The things that you would do to make beer kind of became viewed suspiciously. So you'd see a woman who was boiling lots of things in a big cauldron. She would have cats around because presumably she had a lot of grain. Yeah. So she needs to keep mice away from the grain. So she kept lots of cats around. Apparently one of the signs that she was, she had surplus and she wanted to sell it was leave a broom outside. So there's all these kinds of like little things that slowly just get taken on and turned into uh, signs of something else. Yeah,
1: that's really interesting. It's really, really interesting.
0: That whole like alewife thing was so fascinating. They were making a lot of money and actually it's interesting how men came in and basically took that job, systematically took that job off them um, in a variety of ways. So yeah, I mean the, the witch craze went on in Britain. So in Scotland and England mainly... And they actually witches were treated; they were they were punished differently in England versus Scotland. So in Scotland, witches were burned because it was seen as heresy. Whereas in England, witches were hanged because it was seen as murder or damage to property. So they were looking more at the consequences of witchcraft, mm-hmm. not the witchcraft itself. Either way, people died. But
1: lots of people died. Lots and
0: lots of people died. So Henry VIII sort of instated in, in these witchcraft laws um but the monarch who really ramped them up was james the first of england (laughs) so he was basically about 20 years before the civil war happened and he was really really scared
1: of witches believed
0: they were real Believed they were cursing him and trying to have him killed and wrote a book about it. I
1: find it incredible, right, that we just go on about Henry VIII on a human face forever. Like that's all anybody ever talks about because King James was a mad bastard. He was insane. (laughs) He was insane and in many ways just a lot more of an entertaining character than Henry VIII. So I'm really surprised that people just don't talk about King James. (laughs) There's all sorts of stuff going on with King James. Like he was suspected
0: to have been gay, all his favourites at court were men, and I think he basically had lots and lots of boyfriends which was never really talked about it was yep. just kind of common knowledge he had really weird phobias of things so he was obviously terrified of witches apparently terrified morbidly terrified of like pigs for some reason <laughs> I, I remember reading about this <laughs> when i was younger again and, like, there
1: is something about pigs and satan though isn't there yes There's maybe like... that's why because he was really religious
0: yeah
1: and i guess it's kind of crazy
0: like his mum was mary queen of Scots yeah in like his aunt basically had his mum beheaded yeah and then he became king i feel like you'd be a bit messed, you'd be if messed up if you were him but also
1: he was like <laughs> he was the first he was the first to unite like england and scotland mm. um so you know he he sort of brought the union about yeah he was just a complete and utter mentalist also you know famously translated the king James's bible oh yeah like course. famously translated the king James's bible which is one of the most popular bibles on earth and also wrote this bestseller about witches i feel like like demonology reign, yeah demonology i feel like for one reign that's quite a lot and you nobody talks about it. you didn't reign for very long in england either he <laughs> reigned for
0: like i would say 20 years yeah but what's interesting and actually kind of takes us a little bit further into the uh, into the, closer to the present day is that when he instituted all these laws about witchcraft william shakespeare was still the uh kind of biggest playwright at the time it's no coincidence that's when macbeth got written basically mm-hmm. So witchcraft was absolutely, like, it was... I think the witch craze was reaching its peak.
1: Yeah.
0: Shakespeare wrote Macbeth, I would say, not even that long after King James came to the throne. And if you think that he's writing um, writing plays for the court, it's interesting the things that he includes in Macbeth that would really play to James's interests. So there's a Scottish king there are witches who are telling him to do things and who are basically witches who are out to kind of take him down.
1: And, and yeah, we can't stress this enough. Like King James really believed the witches were out to get him. So yeah. I think he had a bad voyage, right? A he, sea voyage. It had- was
0: to go and get meet his wife, who I think was a Danish princess. And I think in Denmark, belief in witchcraft was huge. Like right. not even on the level it is here. And apparently she brought some of that back with her and I think basically encouraged him yeah. and was like, Oh yeah, I totally get you with the witches. They're definitely everywhere. So um yeah, they came back and the voyage was really, really treacherous and they nearly died in a storm and he believed that witches were
1: out to kill him. He also presided over what a witch a leap trial. As well. What a fucking leap. Just like, oh I had a bit of a bad flight. It must be witches. yeah <laughs> but- Had a bit of a bad flight. Witches. <laughs>
0: there's an ink there's like a woodcut of him actually being the judge at a witch trial he was so into it he was like really wanted to you know get hands on with it i want to you know i want to deal with witches in person blah 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 although
1: apparently and obviously it's all uh relative because they were burning witches like we can't forget about that but Mm. apparently he was one of the better ones in like he wanted actual i mean what is your actual proof of witchcraft but he wanted actual yeah yeah he wanted actual he wasn't just he wouldn't he was one of the ones who was like, we can't let ourselves just get caught up mm. in hysteria. We need to actually know that these people are witches." But then again, yeah, exactly. What is your actual proof of witchcraft? A mole. <laughs> <laughs> I found it. <laughs> Whether you float in water. We all float in water. <laughs> yeah, the human, we're buoyant. We're buoyant. <laughs> so I
0: think the idea was that it's like, oh, logic is mad. So like, they decided that the reason that you would, if, basically the water would reject you because it's like baptismal waters so the idea is that that you would be shot out of the water because the water's like your evil get out <laughs> but also you, what your to- your thumbs are tied to your toes or something really weird <laughs> and which makes it really awkward and but they they basically were like if you sink you're innocent <laughs> so if you die you're innocent yeah. if you live we'll kill you yeah <laughs> that's the logic <laughs> People are crazy. Macbeth's an interesting one because I would say that as the witchcraft, as the witchcraft, as the witch craze dies out slowly but surely. Like, it's interesting how the laws stayed long after the craze actually stopped. Mm. They basically only took the laws away because they realised that no one believed in it anymore someone was accused of being a witch as recently as
1: 1930 something yeah i i remember that i saw a
0: photo of her ectoplasm somewhere on the internet because and then that's when they were like yeah we should probably stop this now this is a bit silly i think she was called helen duncan yeah i think
1: I, i believe you're right
0: um but yeah like i would say that as that died out it's interesting how stories like macbeth really took off in art this idea of the witch as basically something that's now mythical is the direction that depictions of witches go in to the point where it's actually quite cutesy
1: like this the one not, sorry, the last person to be I've heard of Helen Duncan so I know what you're talking about but apparently yeah. the last person to be convicted under the Witchcraft Act in England was Jane Rebecca York in 1944 1944 or oh, wait hang. On. She, was, she was
0: in her 70s so she had a comparatively oh, lenient sorry. sentence
1: she that was fine. 1944 was the last time we convicted a witch. That is
0: insane. <laughs> so despite the fact that this was clearly in law until bloody 1944, <laughs> uh this idea of witches as something kind of cute and and fictional and just something out of stories, I think by the 18th century had kind of become the the, mm-hmm. the prevailing idea. I think probably because a lot of stuff happened in the 18th century and we'd we'd become much more essentially scientifically minded and Mm. enlightened and much more empirical and looking for
1: scientific proof of things. So, you know, you start to have things... Although weirdly, we were discussing this the other day just... Mm. They are also- Like, the Victorians were very woo-woo. They loved Mm. a seance and, like, you know, were really into things like Ouija boards I I do wonder if it was
0: like- I wonder if it's almost a kickback against the Age of Enlightenment, in Mm. a way. It's almost a bit like how now- even though we literally have all the knowledge we could ever want on the internet, people still insist on believing in, like, really woo-woo stuff. <laughs> like smudge sticks and yeah. things.
1: Or, like, it doesn't matter how much, sort of, like, evidence you put in front of somebody, they're still absolutely convinced that, like, vaccines cause autism or Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> um, I think it's almost like, like, maybe the more, the more knowledge and the more scientific developments there are, the more some people want to kind of cling to something that's the opposite of that yeah so but this picture is of three really famous society women um painted as the three witches from Macbeth, but literally like halloween costumes like yeah. they
1: have pointy hats <laughs> they look great
0: they yeah look so good typical georgians um ha- with like the big powdered wigs and <laughs> the you know the the sort of red blush on the cheeks and everything. And these three women were all really big society women of the time. So you had um Elizabeth Lamb, Viscountess Melbourne, who had a lot of affairs but was quite discreet about them. But her daughter-in-law, <laughs> Caroline Lamb, was the one who had an affair with Lord Byron and said he was mad bad and dangerous to know. <laughs> so, keeping it in the family, Georgiana Duchess of Devonshire, who is was famous for being like the biggest kind of fashion icon of her day, um, and they made the Duchess the film about her with Keira Knightley, and apparently she's like a distant uh, ancestor of um, Princess Di, and uh, Anne Seymour Damer, who I think is a sculptor. These three women are posing like like the witches from Macbeth, but it's so it's so twee. It's yeah. like oh, we're so edgy, we're little witches. So like yeah, total opposite from. Not even, I would say, 70-odd years before. Yeah. The gear change is massive. I mean, people, I think, were still tried as witches, uh, but in, like, quite rural areas Mm -hmm. and stuff, it would happen still. But the prevailing idea, basically, amongst the kind of, like, leading thinkers at the time is this is a bit old-fashioned. And we're kind of moving on from that. And then also, when you look at the kind of interesting gothic... Um, The artist Henry Fuseli is, like, obsessed with Shakespeare and obsessed with Macbeth specifically. So he was a Swiss painter who most of his life lived and worked in England. But when he was a teenager, he translated Macbeth into German. That's how much... Wow.
1: He's like a Shakespeare stan. When I was a teenager, I was trying to figure out who would buy me £10 bottles of vodka. And like...
0: (laughs) He did these paintings. He did two quite famous paintings of the witches from Macbeth. He interestingly is still painting them as these kind of haggard old yeah. crones, not as like beautiful attractive women. So you still get this kind of this continuing idea of as of witches as scary and old and, you know. So there's this one where they're pointing at Macbeth and Banquo and these guys are wearing incredibly tight tights. <laughs> uh, and you've also got this one which is quite famous one of the three witches so the same look the whole pointing thing but he's like zoomed in on them this time and there's i think there's like a death's head moth in the background Oh so yeah. he's like super super into gothic i kind get of. why
1: people are scared of those moths they're then.
0: yeah but famously henry Fuseli painted the nightmare which is the one where that woman's lying back on the bed and there's a goblin sitting on as like an incubus on her chest yeah so he's really into this whole idea of like spooky kind of gothic nightmares and demons. And and Macbeth's witches are like the witches that he is most preoccupied with. So that story, bearing in mind when it was written, really has stayed in the imagination as a kind of... I guess also because it's, I mean, it's a play. So it's almost made to be painted as dramatic scenes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it's quite easy to... To just... They're kind of ready-made for for painting. As we get into the 18th and 19th centuries, you kind of see the depiction of witches changing, especially as they become less and less of a real threat, Mm -hmm. essentially. And as people believe more and more in, I don't know, science. (laughs) And (laughs) material things. So, yeah. I mean, I guess elsewhere in europe we are seeing witches but again actually so we we, we're gonna look at like goya yeah but his treatment of witches is quite different even though he's painting at a sort of similar ish time to henry fuseli
1: yeah so yeah we really couldn't talk about um witches without talking about goya because obviously his depictions of witches are just so incredibly famous there's little that's kind of definitively known about Goya's witch period, where he got really into painting witches. Mm. But it is widely believed that his witch paintings are kind of a satirical social commentary on Spanish society at the time. Mm. So Goya painted various depictions of witches in 1797 to 8, including the most famous ones, which are like witches in flight. Which and is so and
0: creepy. It
1: is so weird, isn't I it? I find
0: it like really... I actually found this the most disturbing one out of all of his witch paintings. And
1: yeah, it's I, kind of yeah, it's it, just so like it's the black, it's the intense black, black and also that running person underneath. Yeah, I find very put this little donkey in this in there. Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's so, it's so odd.
1: Yeah, so we've got The Witches in Flight It's probably his first and most famous one. And then we've got uh, The Witcher's Sabbath, which is another incredibly famous. So that's actually the later Witcher's Sabbath. This is ah, the first Witcher's Sabbath.
0: This is more in his kind of old, kind of slightly... Rococo-y style Isn't it yeah. It's kind of like Like his old society portraits But of a goat <laughs>
1: Yeah And so Like what You've got the same Like you've got mm. these old women You've got um, Like emaciated children Look
0: they're like Trying to present the baby. To They're trying to, to present Ooh. This like dying
1: baby To um The goat that's in the middle That's the central yeah. figure Which is obviously Satan mm. And also Like I read something That basically I don't really understand it Oh there's a corpse Down there oh, on the bottom yeah. I think that's
0: another child it's a yeah child.
1: so i i wonder if like the emaciated children are because the life force has been sucked out of them i think that's
0: uh, that's part of the idea isn't it that witches take life and they take new life and they essentially part they they use babies for all kinds of things in like it, it, what what people believed they did but one of the things was they would like give them to the devil to give yeah to give him basically life force yeah. essentially and also i think that was another thing that the old women would take babies to like you know take their take yeah. their life force and make them young and stuff so yeah there's all that Yeah kind there's of thing. loads of
1: hanging babies here if you actually mm. if you zoom into this painting like there's a lot going on it's very um, creepy it's very creepy so you see here all the hanging mm. children and the yeah like the witches are all old crones so mm. it's very much the kind of old school depictions mm. of witches that we understand. I also read somewhere but I don't really understand it that things are like inverse and so like the moon is in the wrong like corner right. but I didn't really understand it cuz I was like I don't understand how the moon could be in a wrong corner mm. or maybe it's because the moon is pointing that way when it should be pointing that way
0: maybe I if don't that makes know. sense
1: so like images are kind of inversed.
0: yeah well um, we've seen that before with Jura yeah. putting the the goat and the woman the wrong way yeah. so that yeah
1: so the crescent the crescent of the moon sorry to explain points towards the edge of the picture as opposed to pointing out towards the Pe-
0: this, the the, the
1: people. And I wonder if that's what they meant by the inverse images. Mm. And so, yeah, these are like really classic depictions of uh, sort of witches. But there's a lot of kind of talk about what was meant by these pictures. Mm. So basically it is true that both of these paintings were painted for rich private collectors um, and could be read as some kind of just like light horror titillation mm. for spain's ruling class um, you know that played on the already widely be held held beliefs that um, there were dangers of of witchcraft at play um, so you know it'd be like i was watching a horror film yeah but um they were also painted during the latter part of the spanish inquisition mm. which was an extremely turbulent time for spain and Goya himself was a liberal and he was not a fan of the Inquisition. So um, the Spanish Inquisition was a judicial judicial institution that lasted for hundreds of years.
0: I was actually surprised at how long it lasted because I only really knew about the
1: earlier bit, but I didn't realise it lasted until like literally like <sighs> the eighteen. 18- that yeah thing. It so basically it, it was formed in 1478 and it wasn't officially abolished until 1834 That's mad. now i believe by the time it was officially abolished in 1834 it had fallen out of favor and people didn't you know people weren't necessarily as into it as they once were mm. however it still had a you know quite a huge impact on how spanish society was run mm. So originally the Inquisition was established to identify and combat heretics in Catholic Spain. So Spain had a huge number of like Jewish and Muslim people living there at the time. Mm. And although they had already faced like brutal repression during the medieval period, it was kind of well known that they continued to practice their religion in secret. Yeah. So they were basically like on paper, they were ostensibly Catholic, but they were, they were continuing to be secretly yeah. jewish or secretly muslim behind closed doors and what the inquisition
0: was up to was trying to like essentially sniff them out yeah and be like you're faking it yeah. yeah
1: so the inquisition aimed to like root this out and was famous for its brutality in doing so so torture and executions mm. were completely commonplace and although it's true that the inquisition itself wasn't that bothered about witchcraft to be honest i was really surprised when i found this out yeah, the inquisition didn't care about witches that. So apparently, so in the first time that they wrote a law about witches, it essentially said, "Look, all right, they exist, but honestly, just give them a slap on the wrists." Uh, in one of the bits of legislation, said the real problem of the Moorish, so yeah. they just they weren't interested at all in witchcraft. Yeah, um,
0: I remember I went to there's a museum in Granada, which is all about it's the museum of I think it's the museum of like Sephardic Jews. Uh, there's a whole bit about the Inquisition there, and they have like all of the um, they have some old, like uh, actual, I don't know, costumes, whatever that they yeah. used to wear. It's te- it's actually terrifying. If you saw those people walking around, you would be terrified. Yeah, it looks hor- like it's horrible. Um, I think they do have some like museums about the Inquisition in Spain as well. But I saw I saw some stuff in the in the Sephardic Jewish Museum, and it was yeah, yeah. and all the kinds of things they do to try and like because i was saying to you earlier wasn't i about spanish food it does seem very aggressively like pork based (laughs) pork based and shellfish based which are definitely two things i know for sure that jewish people don't yeah i don't obviously muslims Muslims can't eat pork pork. um so it did seem like they were literally everything right down to like national dishes Is like they're trying to push people out yeah and when i went to portugal recently um yeah our friend alex who we're hoping to get on the podcast soon, actually, because he likes art too. Um, But he told us about this actually really delicious uh, sausage dish, which is made with all different types of meat, like game and bits of, like, rabbit and chicken and stuff. But the aim is it was actually made by uh, by Jewish people living in Portugal, because I think Portugal was still part of Spain, basically, Mm -hmm. then. So it was just to try and get around the Inquisition. (laughs) So they made this dish that was a uh, this sausage that could kind of pass as chorizo but wasn't, wasn't basically it was like it had every meat but pork in it essentially <laughs> but and, and it is really nice but um but that dish is now like a national dish in portugal yeah but it was made because
1: it was a product of basically the inquisition the inquisition yeah so as i say while the inquisition wasn't that like, interested in witchcraft, once the genie of heresy is out of the bottle, it becomes really hard to control. Mm. So what ended up happening in Spain were almost like vigilante witch trials started taking place that were led by secular civilian courts. And because the Inquisition couldn't keep control over these, they just decided to conduct their own witch trials, Mm. which culminated in probably the biggest single witch event of all time, which was the Basque witch trials of 1609, where it's believed that there were 7,000 cases of witchcraft examined by the Inquisition. So, of course, like, Goya didn't start painting his witches until almost 200 years later. But people believe it was his way of sort of satirising the still prevailing archaic thinking of the monarchy Mm. and the Catholic ruling class, um, and and also the Inquisition, because the Inquisition was still around at this time. And this is an idea that I think is actually bolstered a lot by Goya's later paintings. Yeah. So like a decade after Goya painted his witches, in 1807, Napoleon Bonaparte broke his allegiance with Spain and occupied northern parts of Spain. Mm. And due to this, the King Charles IV of Spain was forced to abdicate in 1808. And so he was briefly replaced by his more sort of popular son, Ferdinand VII. Um, who wanted to ally with the British against the French, which meant that he ended up being swiftly deposed by the French occupying forces and replaced with Napoleon's brother, Joseph Bonaparte. Mm. And this led to a really brutal civil war in Spain, where both the Spanish civilian forces and the French occupying soldiers spilt a lot of blood. And you get other goya depictions of that so yeah, there's a famous yeah there's but there's also like a famous uh picture of people hanging from trees, trees and i remember those yeah
0: it's interesting though i didn't realize until you told me earlier that like the witch paintings are in a separate period i think yeah. a lot of people me included just assumed that he just had like a dark no. period but i do like how you were saying that essentially. Goya's paintings are just a barometer of of, of how he's feeling about yeah. life. So, and like,
1: it's how he's feeling about Spain in particular. So, what's yeah. really interesting, right, is during this time, and this to me is the most compelling evidence that the witches are a satire of Spanish life, mm. because basically during this time, in the midst of the kind of war that was going on and all of that, for the very very first time, Spain formed its first ever liberal government who were heavily inspired by the french revolution and they drew up a constitution for the first time ever and it was really really forward thinking and it included things like free trade a free press, the abolition of feudalism rights for citizens and universal male suffrage and mm. this is never nothing like this had ever been seen in spain right and in this period Goya goes, it starts to paint happy paintings. (laughs) he goes through his light period. And so basically what you get, like, one of the most famous Goya paintings of this time is something called the Allegory on the Adoption of the Constitution of 1812, which I was joking with you about. I was like, Goya is terrible at naming his paintings. (laughs) He's got the most literal names for his paintings. And if you see... Like you look at this painting. Oh, I mean, look,
0: it's so like, it's like, it's got like little angels in it.
1: Everyone's like happy. It's lovely. So in a lot of ways, the composition is very similar to the witch paintings. Even the the palette is similar. Even the palette is similar, but it's a lot lighter. And where there would be witches, there's (laughs) angels instead. And where there would be crones, you know, there are like beautiful people doing beautiful things. And this was literally painted because of the constitution that was established. So you can see, like, like, liberal Goya's getting happy because (laughs) you get this light period. Oh dear. And then, yeah, well, it doesn't, it doesn't (laughs) doesn't all, yeah. So it doesn't last very long because unfortunately after france withdrew from spain there was a power vacuum left behind by france leaving and that was filled by the catholic church and by conservatives mm. so as soon as ferdinand the was sort of returned to the throne he abolished the constitution and the government and began to persecute intellectuals artists and scientists and it is in this period that we see Goya's like black period. This mm. is his dark period. Oh, no. So it's not exactly the same as the witches, but it is very, very similar. Yeah. And one of the very famous paintings of the dark periods is something called the he goat of 1823 mm. and it's also referred to as his second witcher sabbath and you right. can see here uh, that's
0: the one i that's the one opened you up and you yeah. can
1: see here that it's got it's got the goat in it which mm. is the same as as but this in time the first it's witcher much more sabbath like of
0: a shadowy figure he's not you can't yeah. it's not like in a way i found the goat in the first one almost a bit ridiculous
1: yeah it's cartoonish isn't it <laughs> yeah and it's yeah. we were
0: saying like if you look to that goat you know if you look at a goat and you're like how is that Evil,
1: like they just look kind of funny, but this one actually looks really sinister. Yeah, and you could, there's like huddled masses who Mm. are like looking towards the goat for leadership, but they're also quite anguished. Mm. And some of them, it's like these could be demons or they Mm. could be humans, it's not, you're not quite sure. Like these could be Spanish civilians Mm. or they could be demons, and it's not a sort of like the composition's
0: much more like that first one as well was neatly arranged, you know the goat was in the middle and everyone was kind of arranged around him whereas this is just this kind of like
1: massive yeah and also it's it's weird as well because to me in the first picture the goat is very much a worship symbol he's in the middle they're mm. at his feet they're giving him offerings like he's a worship symbol whereas in this the goat is more like a political figure they're this... looking towards him for leadership and it's yeah. like it i it's quite clear to me who the devil is supposed to be in this picture.
0: Yeah. And you can see people, I'd say like the people in this picture look afraid. Like the witches here look sort of scared and uncertain.
1: Yeah. That to me is, you know, this change in painting style between light and dark when it's viewed through the political context of what's happening in Spain at the time, I think is the most compelling evidence that his earlier witch paintings were satires rather than just titillation for the ruling class. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's a painter. He has to earn money. He He has has to be able to sell his work. But there was deeper layers of meaning in these paintings. Mm.
0: Mm. That's interesting. And I think when you go from there to like later depictions of witches where... I mean, as we kind of move towards the Victorian period and we look at, say, like, J. J. W. Waterhouse, those pictures are, I would just say, titillating in a different way. <laughs> Where, you know, you just, you get these uh, particularly... I mean, I would say if you want to hear more about the Victorian and specifically, like, pre-Raphaelite ideal and ideas behind portraying women, then definitely go back to our first episode uh, all about Pre-Raphaelites, but you see the idea of witches as sexual beings and sexually potent and bewitching, as well as being a witch, uh, and temptresses is what really kind of comes to the fore by the Victorian period. I think it's probably just like a, it's like how Victorian people were really into woo-woo stuff because of all of the kind of scientific discoveries, and i feel like they got really into very sexualized mythical women mm-hmm. because they were so repressed yeah. like it's all just it comes out in different ways and i think like like i say we've definitely talked about this in a previous episode but what i think is kind of interesting uh, about these depictions of witches a lot of these are of cersei who is the the you know the lady who turned everyone into pigs that we talked about earlier but just because she was lonely i mean come on what i didn't actually get to touch on this earlier so i can i'll kind of talk about it now but this idea of witches as extremely sexual as well and like that they didn't necessarily just steal babies and they didn't they weren't just these necessarily like old shriveled women but people were scared of young beautiful women being witches as well during the witch craze and i think that idea of witches has really lasted to right up until this period and beyond because they believed things like so they definitely believed that women witches could steal men's virility and steal their potency and literally steal their their penis penis. (laughs) so there's a bit literally in the malleus maleficarum there is a whole bit where he says that women have been known to steal men's penises and hide them in nests up trees and then feed them like little pets. <laughs> feed them with like oats and corn. And he said, I, oh, I have first hand he... eyewitness accounts of people who've gone up trees and have seen little nests of peens."
1: <laughs> Do you know what? They were probably just seeing like pink birds. They pro- yeah. <laughs> like, literally birds that hadn't got their feathers yet or something. But also... Like who wants a pet penis? Exactly. <laughs> like, of all the pets I could think to keep, and I look, this is a woman who wants an army of crows. Exactly. And even I'm like, do you know what? Keep your dicks. Yeah, I draw the line <laughs> I at. A draw the penis. line of pet penises.
0: But yeah, he was. This guy was so obsessed and engulfed by his hatred of women that he literally, I think, had convinced himself that women would steal your penis and keep it as a pet. <laughs> We don't want them.
1: (laughs) Literally keep them. Yeah, not
0: in that way anyway. Like I much prefer them attached
1: where they're useful. Like the idea that they eat grain and corn.
0: Yeah, like you feed them little like have you ever thought did can did he not look at his own penis and think I've never wanted to feed it it's never it's never like, you know, woken up when I've had a bowl of porridge or something. (laughs)
1: it's like oh my god maybe he got involuntary erections over porridge <laughs> this is the root of it all. he's
0: like i knew it <laughs> but yeah so they did they believed that women could literally had had could seduce men but l- literally had this power over men's penises that they would come in the night and steal your penis basically and hide up a tree i think also that that just that they have this like this power because of the, this whole idea of like the wandering womb and it's like this kind of insatiable um, appetite for sex. Room. Yeah. So Plato basically believed that your womb could like wander around your body and that, sure. I, that idea lasted for a really long time. And it's why people thought women were like hysterical because essentially like they believed that again, crazy historical logic that your, your womb is literally so desperate to be for sex and to be impregnated (laughs) that it just goes wandering around your body essentially it's just like it's it's kind of like a kind of roving reporter (laughs) so there is there was also this idea that um that women would have essentially like a sexual pact with the devil so one of the things you would do is yeah you would kiss the devil's anus to make the pact with the devil but one of the things that women were often accused of was having
1: sex with the devil uh, so, Which ties all the way back to Lilith, right? Yeah. L- laying with, yeah. with Samael.
0: But this idea of women being simultaneously old, shriveled, wanting to like sap life force out of people, but also being incredibly like potent and sexual and so what's the word sorry i'm getting really distracted because our cats decided to (laughs) to kick off have a moment um but yeah like wanton yeah and wanton and being able to actually manipulate men in that way is like the one that's kind of i think really like pervaded and was the most powerful one once you got to that kind of pre-raphaelite period so yeah like, like this woman hanging around the cauldron that waterhouse painted is very I don't know. She's... Ooh, are they
1: crows? They're crows! She's got crows! She's got a crow army, look! I'm telling you, spirit sisters. She's got like five crows. I am a witch. (laughs) (laughs) What was it you said? You're not a witch?
0: (laughs) Oh, that that tweet I saw that was like, you're not a witch, you're just mentally ill with candles.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. But yeah,
0: like, yeah. She has a crow army. I'd never noticed that until today. Oh,
1: I'm so happy for you. <laughs> this could be you. Crows are the best friend. Look, she's got a sword. She's got a crow army. She's literally living her best life. Yeah. She's just doing some nice cooking. Yeah. She's doing some nice cooking with her crow army and her sword. Exactly.
0: A <laughs> was drawing a circle. That's what she's doing. I drawing oh, a circle I see. around her fire. Around her dinner. I see. <laughs> she's just trying to stop the crows from getting to her dinner because yeah. they will take the piss. They
1: will take the piss. I guess then... we need one of them for Frida when we're eating chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I'm just going to make a salt circle on the floor and see if I can get away with eating my KFC then.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I mean, there are other paintings of kind of like witchy women in the pre-Raphaelite period. So famously the one of Lilith by Rossetti that no. we talked about, which I might pull it up again just
1: to see if there's anything. Sexy Lilith.
0: Yeah. Now that we know so much more about her.
1: He's depicted her quite nicely, though. You don't get any of the kind of, um, like, baby-killing stuff.
0: And not even, like, that other one who was, like, a sexy redhead was, like, literally naked entwined around Mm -hmm. a snake, which is clearly a nod to, like, the devil and everything. So, yeah, this is much more... Yeah, he has portrayed her quite nicely, actually. It's quite simple. I mean, she's clearly very, like,
1: sexy, She's but... very sexy. Look at her sexy hair. You can tell she's loose because of her hair. Exactly. That was another thing which
0: I guess lasted, was this idea of witches having wild, loose hair and obviously that's always lasted, of, like, loose hair means loose, sexy women and all the rest of it. But, yeah, I mean, kind of going into the modern day, I guess, like, so, there's not huge... I'd say there's not huge amounts of art, although I did find some, like, sort of you you find some like kind of weird performance art and stuff but like (laughs) but there's this kind of like modern reclaiming of witch which is quite interesting and this idea of women reclaiming being a witch as like a kind of a feminist move and
1: and you get a lot of it permeate like permeating in popular culture so there's a lot of like i mean you just look at any of the like a lot of the big netflix shows have got some sort of witchy element to them (laughs) I guess it kind of started in the sort of early 2000s, and it really hasn't gone away. This idea of like witches now being powerful women and then mm. reclaiming that power. So we saw it a lot in like Buffy, and then yeah, yeah, and that's and like Charmed and things like that. And that's yeah. kind of gone on, and um, that's that's yeah, that's a lot of the the retelling of witches now from a kind of more like feminist perspective in terms of art and culture.
0: Yeah. I just suddenly remembered Bewitched as well from the 60s, which <laughs> yeah. is totally not feminist. It's like, she's very much just using her, although she's kind of using it to like do things that her human husband can't, which is always <laughs> quite funny. I like that her human husband is like, yeah, I think he works in advertising or something and she's just this perfect 60s housewife. housewife. <laughs> but she's also like, a witch. a witch. who's like, I think, I think she's 200 years old or something. But, <laughs> and also I like how all of her relatives keep popping up and they they all do play into weird witchy tropes of one kind or another, which is quite funny.
1: And you had, do you remember when we were kids, you had like Sabrina, and the teenage witch yeah. and stuff like that. Was so there's the a cat, was the
0: cat called Salem? Salem. The yeah. cat's
1: called Salem, yeah. And the, the, the new Sabrina on Netflix is, I mean, to the point where it's a bit annoying, the new Sabrina on Netflix is, it is very much this is a feminist reading of witchcraft. Right, okay. Like, from start to end. So they do start off as, like, the devil's concubines. And then they're like, hang on a minute. This is horrible and oppressive and, like, Mm. patriarchal. And all of the men sort of own the coven and stuff. So yeah. they basically have, like, a small revolution and it becomes...
0: Oh, it's like... So one of my favourite films, which I'm probably going to re-watch at Halloween, is The Witches of Eastwick.
1: Yeah, The Witches of Eastwick's a great film.
0: <laughs> yeah. I also really enjoy Jack Nicholson as the devil. It's <laughs> just, like, perfect. But, yeah, I like that. Because they kind of... They basically uh, kick him out in the end because yeah. they realise that, like... Uh, that the coven's not working out for them. Yeah. Um... But yeah i think that i guess if we i don't know it's weird it's interesting how like yeah witch has gone from being this kind of really derogatory thing to being like reclaimed
1: and yeah there is um yeah there does seem to be a sort of blurring and we were talking about this earlier there does seem to be a sort of blurring between like Fantasy and activism sometimes, yeah. which is a bit... Um... So
0: I quite enjoyed this, um, speaking of activism, I quite, quite enjoyed this group I found who were called Witch, The Women's International Terrorist Conspiracy from Hell.
1: <laughs> who were like a
0: women's lib movement during the 60s. A lot of their sort of protests involved doing like wicker ceremonies outside <laughs> buildings and stuff. Oh, yeah, they put a hex on uh, Wall Street. (laughs) And uh, Morgan stated that the Dow Jones actually declined sharply the next day. Okay. (laughs) So she also noted that this action emphasised the working class struggle against capitalism more than the feminist struggle. So. I don't know. I think, like, it was just more theatrical.
1: Yeah, which I don't mind. Like, I'm a straight down the line materialist. I always have been. And Mm. I get very, very spiky about people sort of, what I see is people either just like giving into superstition in really quite an anti-intellectual way or Mm. like, yeah, like blurring the lines between fantasy and real. I love witches. I love horror films. I love fantasy. I love walking around the house with my cat and my fake raven and pretending. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? But I, I know that there is a material world. Yeah. But... What, um, there are some times when the theatrics are really quite fun. Like I was talking to you about the Church of Satanism, which I find incredibly fun. And they seem to be essentially a group of people in America who have decided to take up the baton of satanism in order to fight the conservative christian right
0: Right, on their
1: own grounds by basically using religious freedom laws which are often used to bolster the conservative christian right against them yeah and i i find that really funny and i find the theatrics great like it's a massive troll so like for instance they're fighting the texas abortion ban stuff at the moment in the high court by claiming that it's you know it's a key tenant of their religion is to be allowed to have an abortion. And right. that's like a key tenant of their religion. Okay. So therefore, for them not to provide abortions in Texas is, you know, where they have stringent uh, religious freedom laws is against the law. Right. And so it's very fun. Interesting. That like, yeah.
0: yeah. I do like so. just about that witch group. And um, so I think the reason that witches were kind of reclaimed by like the women's lib movement, it says here, Feminists were identifying themselves with everything women were taught not to be. Ugly, aggressive, independent, and malicious. Feminists took this symbol and moulded it, not into the fairy tale Goodwitch, but into a symbol of female power, knowledge, independence, and martyrdom. So, yeah, I guess they've basically just... That's how they've, like... That's how they reclaimed it for, like, yeah. kind of feminist purposes. Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah I think that's been like a like this is a real whistle stop tour through like the history of witches. witches. And also
1: I must say we were very very um what's the word I'm looking for? Ambitious when we started this. We're just like <laughs> we're just gonna do witches.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then we were like oh oh <laughs> this is gonna be difficult. Uh, but yeah we kind of hope we hope you enjoy this like as a Halloween special and we're definitely gonna give you some links in the description if you want to find out more. There were lots of podcasts we actually listened to to help us with our research. So we've,
1: Yeah, we've done so, like, we've got, s- we've done so much kind of research for this that we're going to have loads and loads of links. Please do check them out because there's been some brilliant podcasts that we've taken from, some yeah. great articles.
0: If you're interested and want to learn more, then definitely check the links out in our description. And yeah, Happy Halloween! Have a witchy Yay! old time. Happy
1: Goth Christmas! <laughs> I'm going to eat my own body weight and sugar and watch some, spice B- yeah. watch some Tim Burton films. <laughs> Woo. Woo. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please like, subscribe, and leave a review as it makes a huge difference. And if you want to follow us, you can find us on Facebook at Is It Art Though, spelled T H O. Instagram, is it underscore art though? And Twitter, is it art though one? See you next time.